You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. All right, well, good morning. Good being with you guys. Those of you that are new, welcome. So glad that you are here today. Uh, Before we get started, I wanted to give you an update. Last week, I asked if you guys would be praying uh, was planning on making a trip down to the city to talk to them about our, our desires to get our, our final permit so we can do the construction and get moving on that with that building up front. And so uh, that meeting has been delayed. I'm going to be meeting tomorrow morning. Uh, for those of you that are new, just FYI, we've been in a, we did a major resource initiative and so everybody came together and contributed uh, significantly and sacrificially above and beyond their regular giving to help improve our campus and to share and show the love of Christ, not only locally, but globally. So that meeting is going to be tomorrow. I ask that you pray for us in that, um, that we can move forward, get permission from the city, get the permits needed, and then go ahead and start with uh, further construction on that project. So uh, that's tomorrow morning. Uh, as well, if you, if you are, uh, were unable or for one reason or another to help be a part of that and you want to contribute towards that or find out more information about that resource initiative, you can go online on the About section about uh, North Valley and uh, the resource initiative, all the information's there. So last but not least, uh, quarterly giving reports are coming out this week for all of you who give. Uh, financially to our, our church. You should be expecting an email to help kind of give you an update on all your giving uh, to be able to see from the resource initiative and general fund. So thank you ahead of time as you've been able to uh, give towards our church. It's making a big impact. And then last but not least, I'm actually headed down to Mexico uh, this next weekend. And uh, part of our Serve Like Jesus initiative was to go down to Mexico and start working with uh, the underprivileged and the poor. And so I've got my heart set on a community down there called the San Rafael Community. Uh, Myself and about 40 other uh, folks uh, from our church went down uh, this last spring and we built a house for our family, Jose and Evelyn, and they've got a a couple little kids. And so for those of you that want to contribute, maybe just a small gift or a note uh, for that family, I'm going to be showing up at their doorstep uh, this next weekend and just say from Phoenix to San Rafael, we just want to say we love you and are praying for you. And uh, I'm going to go down there and spend some front porch time with Jose and Evelyn. Uh, So they've got a new little baby in their family, and we want to support them, encourage them. As well, I'll be building a house with my kids. Uh, We're going to go down there and build another house, and then we're going to launch another uh, large mission trip this spring. So if you want to get involved with Mexico, don't worry. You're not going to miss your opportunity. We'll open that up in the spring. So, well, let me go ahead and get started with today's message. And as a way of uh, typical fashion, I like to start with something that's kind of fun. It's one of our values at our church is faith, family, friends, and fun. So let me tell you this funny story. I heard about this country couple. Uh, They were celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. And they had never had an argument before. Never. Somebody asked them the secret of their success. And the husband started to explain that when they were leaving the church a long time ago, this takes place a long time ago, uh, and they were going on their honeymoon, the wife's horse 
that she was riding on refused to go. So she got off the horse, she looked the horse in the eyes, and she said in a very stern voice, right in the horse's face, that's one. The husband took note of that, and then the horse went a little bit further, and then stopped again, and she was trying to get the horse to go, it wouldn't go, so she got off the horse, she looked the horse in the eyes and said, that's two. Going a little further, the horse went once again and then stopped all of a sudden. And she got off her horse and without a moment's notice, she pulled out her revolver and she shot the horse dead. The husband was appalled and said, what are you doing? You can't just shoot an animal. And she looked at her husband sternly in the face and she said, honey, that's one. <laughs> oh, man. This morning, what I want to do is I want to uh, talk to you in, about the, how sometimes things just feel unfair in life. I've uh, called this uh, message the parable of the Skittles, and I'll tell you more about the why behind that in just a moment. We're going to look at perhaps one of the greatest parables to help you deal with the unfairness, what it seems like in life sometimes. If we're open and we're honest, we've all feel, felt like at one time or another that somebody else is getting more blessed than we are. Or maybe we found ourselves complaining a lot about the situation or the circumstances that we're in, and it leaves us frustrated and with questions. And so today, what I want to do is I want to teach you uh, this powerful parable called the laborers in the vineyard, uh, a parable that has gone down in our household is the parable of the Skittles. Let me pray for us and we'll get into God's word together. Heavenly Father, the kingdom is yours. To all glory be yours. We thank you, Father, for the word. We pray that it would our eyes would be open, our ears would hear, and that we would receive a word from you today as I try to faithfully communicate the original authorial intent of how this would apply to our lives. We pray that we would be changed just one degree further. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus starts off with a parable in a context where he's already taught about this rich young ruler. He had communicated uh, 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 an encounter that he had had with a very wealthy, affluent man who came to Jesus and said, what is it going to take for me to have eternal life? And Jesus tells this very wealthy man, and he says, you're going to have to sell all that you have and give it to the poor. The really wealthy, rich young ruler says, forget that, and he goes the other way. Peter, one of his disciples, says, this is crazy, Jesus. How could anybody ever follow you and live for you? You make being a follower of you so difficult. And then Jesus responds with this famous phrase, something along the lines of, Peter, Peter, the last will be first and the first will be last. And so today what we're going to learn is that this context that we're picking up in has to be understood that this idea of the truth of Scripture is a paradox. 
And so what we're going to see is that the last will be first and the first is going to be last. In fact, it was the same message that he's going to drill down in in today's parable. And then it's the same message that he picks up on later when there's a request by some of the mothers of the disciples about positions and privileges and perks of being a part of Jesus's uh, uh, community and the kingdom that is to come. And Jesus pushes back again and tells them that if they want to be great, then they need to be a servant. And so today we're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. Now you know kind of the bookends of this parable, what comes before and then what comes after. Matthew chapter 20, verses 1, Jesus starts off and says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now, he's painting a picture. The parable takes, again, place in a field, a vineyard. I've been to the Mediterranean Sea. I've walked along the vineyards. If you know uh, vineyards, you know that there comes a time in harvest season where you've got to get laborers out there to pick those grapes off very quickly. If you don't, then the birds and all the other little critters are going to take those grapes and ruin the harvest. Jesus is telling this parable. Some would say this is a true story. Others would say, no, it was just fictional, used to, uh, to create metaphors about what the kingdom of heaven is like. That is God's will, God's ways. And so here we see it takes place that this master of the house goes out early in the morning. Early would have been 6 a.m. That's about sunrise. And then what he does is he goes early in the morning and he Hiring, he's hiring laborers for his vineyard. Verse 2 says that there's an arrangement that takes place. If you were going to get hired to go work in a field and be a part of the harvest team, then there would be an, an arrangement. Verse 2, Jesus says, after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. There's an agreement. The laborers and the landowner have made an agreement, very likely just a verbal agreement, but it's an agreement nonetheless, and a denarius would be a day's wages. That's a fair wage. There's nothing wrong with that. Jesus says, not only that, but look at verse 3. They're going to need some more help. If you've ever been a part of a big project before, sometimes you start with a group of people and they get going and you realize it's not enough people. We've got to get more people involved. Verse 3. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them, he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. The third hour would be the third hour from sunrise, which would make it about 9 a.m. So you have a group of people that have already been out there since six, six or so. And then another wave of people show up about 9 a.m., and notice again that this, this master of the house or uh, owner of the field says that he's going to do whatever is right he's going to give you. Uh, so they went. And then going on in verse 5, going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. So now there's a pattern that's forming. Jesus is telling this parable. People are listening. Jesus is listening. Jesus is teaching. People are listening. Some in the crowd are very... Uh, Fickle and flaky, others are very curious, and even some are very committed. And Jesus is describing this and 
Some that would be perhaps in the agricultural industry, they worked really hard in the fields themselves, they would be understand, okay, when it's harvest time, you just got to do whatever you can. So he picks up, the uh, landowner, uh, master of the house, picks up more people, not only at 6 a.m., 9 a.m., but that sixth hour, ninth hour would make it about 12 p.m. and about 3 p.m. So in verse 6, here we go again. And at the, about the 11th hour, that means that'd be about 5 p.m., he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. So now you've got a whole wave of people that have shown up at different times of the day. And so now it's time to pay the laborers. Let's see what happens. Verse 8. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foremen, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. So he starts with those that were last to be picked up on the, uh, for the field work. Those would be the people that would have showed up about perhaps, say, 5 p.m., and they worked for an hour. And this landowner is going to call them out of the field, even though they just showed up and got to work. They started working for about an hour, and then the guys that have been there since 6 a.m., they're still in the field working. The guys that just showed up and are working one hour, they're the ones that the landowner is saying, come on and get your paycheck. Meet me over at the barn. We'll settle up our accounts. So, verse 9 again. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, wait a minute, just for a moment. Didn't, wasn't there an agreement for the guys that were starting at 6 a.m. for a denarius? According to verse 2, there were those, after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. There seems to be a problem here. Uh, the landowner is deciding he's going to pay the same uh, wages for all the, um, the employees, even though they put in incredibly different hours of the day. How would you respond? If you were one of the first to show up at 6 a.m., work in the big heat of the day, then all of a sudden these guys keep showing up, and then one shows up at the very last second, and then you might... Maybe you see them get their denarius and they come back and they're like, I'm out of here. Let's, I'm going to dinner. I'm taking the family out. This is going to be awesome. Verse 10. We're going to see the response of those that showed up first. Now, when those hired first, these are the ones that showed up bright and early. We like to say the early bird gets the what? The worm. Not here. Now, when those hired first, came, they thought they would receive more, receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. What in the world is going on? Verse 11, and on receiving it, they grumbled. Now, truth be known, wouldn't you kind of be a little upset too? Seems a little unfair if you showed up at 6 a.m., start your work, doing the thing, and you get paid the exact same thing somebody else does. Uh, and, and they've only put in an hour, and you put in perhaps 11 or 12 hours. Just doesn't seem fair. 
However, there was an agreement. So verse 11, and on receiving, they grumbled. That means they complained. That means that they muffled under their breath. That means they were frustrated. They were grumbled at the master of the house saying, these last worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. If you know anything about construction or farm work and you can imagine uh, what it would be like to work uh, in Phoenix uh, during the summertime outside or you've done it yourself that's very similar to what it would have been like in this context and in this culture, in this part of the world. It's hot. Harvest time is June. You know, in my neighborhood, it, when I see the construction trucks show up in the summertime, those guys are working. Uh, oftentimes, they're in their trucks driving around before the sun ever r- rises. And so in this context, these guys have blistered themselves in the sun. They've been out there all day long, the guys that showed up first. And look how the laborers and the landowners interact. Verse 13. This is the landowner speaking, and Jesus is going to give us some clarity here in just a moment. Verse 13, the landowner responds, and he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? That word agree comes back up. There was already an agreement. Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to the last worker as I gave to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me or do you begrudge my generosity? The problem is not that this landowner was being unfair uh, uh, because he paid everybody exactly what he said he was going to pay. He said he's going to make it right. The problem that this landowner faces is he chooses to be incredibly generous. And that generosity makes some people uncomfortable. So Jesus closes out this parable with that famous phrase, you've heard it said before, so the last will be first and the first last. What is he doing? Jesus is trying to highlight a kingdom principle that the reality is, is when we choose to be first and we try to make ourselves first in everything and we have that me first mentality, the root problem behind that is called sin. And when you and I choose to put the me first mentality before anybody else, we're not operating according to God's plan. In fact, God's plan would be like this for people priorities. You always need to put God first. You always need to put others second. And then you always need to put the me last. Some of you might have heard of that uh, popular campaign. It, It happened within evangelical culture called I Am Second. It's a It was an initiative to help people think, always put God first and put themselves second. I I would tweak that. I think it'd be better to say, I am third. You always want to put God first, others second, and then you or me last. What Jesus is fighting is he's fighting a me first mentality. That was the problem with the rich young ruler. That was the problem with Peter, James, and John. That was the problem. And so Jesus says, if you want to be great in my kingdom, you're going to be last in the world's eyes. See, in our culture, to be first, usually I call it the brains, the bucks, or the body. If you got brains, you, probably, you could be first in life. 
If you've got the bucks, you've got tons of money, you can be very popular. Or if you've got the body and you're strong and you're beautiful, according to the world standards, you could be first in life. And what Jesus does is he's reversing this whole thinking and saying, hey, in my kingdom, my will, my way is not that you choose this me first mentality, but it's, it's in others that are first before you. So here's my question to you. If we were to step into this story, who are you like? There's three kind of characters in this story that relate to you and me. There's the blessed laborers. The blessed laborers were the guys that showed up and they didn't put in a whole lot of time and they get, they get a whole day's worth of wages for maybe half a day, a quarter of a day, or just a fraction of a day, just an hour. They're the blessed ones. These are the people, that they didn't, they didn't earn it. They didn't deserve it. They just got it. Maybe you find yourself as the grumbly laborers. You feel like, Somebody else is getting blessed over here, God. Uh, they got more financial blessing, family blessing, marital blessing, uh, career blessing. I don't have that. Uh, the grumbly laborers were the ones that, even though there was an agreement, even though the, the landowner and the laborer made an agreement, and we saw that being said, whatever is right, the landowner said, I'll give to you. Or... Uh, oh, oh, there'll be, uh, oh, what it, uh, we'll, we'll agree to, to do it for our day's wages. There's the grumbly laborers, and then last, there is highlighted for us, is this gracious landowner. The gracious landowner uh, ultimately is a picture and a figure of who God is. He's the gracious one. He owns everything. The Bible says everything in the world belongs to God. And in this story, the gracious landowner distributes and, and gives uh, denarius, not based on earning, uh, not based on working for it, but based on how he wants to do it. It's his initiative, his desire. And what we find is we find ourselves perhaps at times in all of these categories where we ourselves can feel like the blessed laborers, God's pouring out major blessings. And sometimes and oftentimes we can find ourselves as the grumbly laborers. I want to tell you now why I named the, the message the parable of the Skittles. Um, I got permission from my kids uh, uh, after the first service to share full details and disclosure on the story. So if you were here on the first service, it was vague. Uh, now I can go HD. Because the reward is the bag of Skittles. Uh, one of my kids, I sat down right after the first service, and my daughter leaned over to me and she said, Dad, give me the Skittles. And I said, no, I can't give it to you until uh, after second service or I'd spill them everywhere. And she said, okay, well, you need to tell the story with more detail. I said, well, I was, I was not using names to protect you. And she said, tell them everything. Just give me the Skittles. I said, okay, I like this. So uh, years ago, my family, uh, five or six years ago, my family, we went on our annual ski trip to the White Mountains, and I was teaching my son, Sam, uh, who's now 14, how to snowboard. And uh, I grew up skateboarding, uh, uh, did surfing, wakeboarding, slalom skiing, so I was always on like a board. So I just had the... Uh, uh, 
uh, overly ambitious presumption, my son would be the same way. Uh, note to self, uh, parents, don't force your kids to do snowboarding. Skiing's a lot easier. My son, Sam, was incredibly discouraged because he kept going on these annual ski trips and he kept falling on his face. Let me rewind that. Not falling on his face, whiplashing on his face when the board would catch the snow. And uh, he was really discouraged. So, like a loving father, I say, well, let's, let's scoot your butt down the hill and we'll get, uh, we'll get to the lodge and I'm going to buy you some Skittles. And I'm going to get you a Gatorade and uh, I just want to cheer you up and tell you how much I love you and I'm proud of you. And, and you know what? Tomorrow, let's try skis. Forget this whole snowboarding thing. Well, it's about lunchtime and my daughter shows up at the uh, lodge and it's, everybody's ready to eat. And so we're going to go grab some stuff. So we get in line, get a hamburger. And I say to the kids, and I say, hey, guys, you can get, you know, uh, a Gatorade and get your hamburger. My daughter looks over there, and guess who's in the corner eating his Skittles? And uh, she says, no, I want a bag of Skittles. And I said, well, well no, I, I just said, you just get a, get a hamburger, get a Gatorade. And she said, well, well Sam got some Skittles. And I said, yeah, I, I, he got some Skittles. Now, we don't need to get into the details as to why, just... You can get a Gatorade and a hammer. Well, this is, a, this is years ago. She got very upset. And in the line, our family fun turned into a family feud. And it turned into uh, what I would call the, the weeping and the gnashing of teeth over the Skittles. And my wife walks in and says, what in the world is going on? And I, so then it takes an hour and a half to work through an issue about Skittles. And uh, I began to just finally sat, sat down with my kids and my wife, and I opened up the scriptures, and I said, Matthew 21 through 16, the parable of the Skittles. You know, in God's economy, he can do what he wants, his way, how he wills. The big idea behind this parable is that God graciously gives to his followers, of Je the followers of Jesus, how he wills and how he wants. It's his, his initiative. He owns everything. He, he often, hear me on this, distributes gifts, blessings, uh, resources, income, health, uh, spiritual gifts, personality types, material blessings, spiritual blessings, however you want to put it, unevenly. Meaning he doesn't just look at all massive humanity and says, everybody gets three Skittles. That's not how it works. Some of you have more Skittles than others. A lot of us have more than others. And I would say in God's world, as we look at all the world around us, we're going to go down to Mexico. I'm taking my kids and I'm going to say, you've got a lot more Skittles than a lot of people. Um, why is that? It's because God's chosen in his sovereign plan and purpose that, to bless us in so many things. So the big idea is that God gives graciously to us as his followers. Let, let me give a little clarification and then I'll get to the practical application of this. This is not in your notes. This message, this parable, you cannot allegorize it and try to over-spiritualize it or you'll theologically destroy good Christian healthy theology. This is not about salvation, the parable. 
if it was about salvation, then you might think, okay, that denarius is eternal life. Everybody gets uh, eternal life. The denarius represents this uh, 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 eternal life. And then, but then you have to work for it. That's not Christian theology. You don't work for your salvation. Um, Titus 3.5, Ephesians 2.8 and 10 tells us that it's by God's grace that we are saved. It's a gift. It's not by works so that nobody can boast. The big idea is that God's just a gracious giver and he gives us to us as he wants. So what is the word to the wise? A word to the wise is, in perhaps all of these categories, number one, to the blessed, hashtag blessed life, I'll call it, is is this, if God is blessing your life tremendously, extraordinary right now, then my exhortation to you would be is don't brag and be sure to give God all the glory. That's exactly what, ha- that's exactly, uh, what we would want to see happen in the parable. These guys that show up and work for an hour, hopefully they don't take uh, their, their denarius and say, looky here, fellas, I was only here for an hour and I get a whole day's wages. The other guys at 6 a.m., there's no taunting that we see in the scripture. There's no bragging or boasting. The highlight is God and he gives generously and he gives one denarius to the guy who showed up and worked for an hour and he gives another denarius for the guy that stayed and worked for 11 to 12 hours. So to the blessed life, maybe you feel that. God's blessing your life in so many different ways. And you look around and you see other people that don't have the same level of your blessing right now. My encouragement to you is give glory to God. Years ago when we planted this church, I had so many people that came up to me. And they said, hey, I know you and a team of of people went out and planted churches. How are those other churches doing? And I responded and said, all of them have failed. Well, wow, God must have really blessed you. What did you do? My response was, God just worked out extraordinary miracles that I couldn't even explain to you. I think, and, and from God's economy, I think perhaps these other folks that went out and planted churches were just as faithful. I don't, I don't think there was major problems in all of them. I think God in his economy, he works out things that we don't understand. Those are called the secret things that we don't understand. Other things are very clear and revealed. We don't understand why God chooses to give one family tremendous uh, health or wealth or blessings and all this. And yet we got another family who's struggling to pay bills all the time. Now, sure, there's some responsibility that all of us can take. But my point in saying this, guys, is God is never portrayed himself that he's going to equally distribute everything for everybody. So we've got to get over that and stop complaining. So to the grumbler, stop complaining. Stop being so critical, cranky, and start counting your blessings so that we can all get on with it. If you find yourself in this mode of thinking, constantly comparing yourself, being critical, judgmental, frustrated, you're going to, I would say, you're going to downgrade your Christian life experience. Because you can't see the blessings that are right around you. And what happens with the grumbler is you fall into the trap of that dangerous me first mentality. And and so the antidote is beginning to count the blessings you've got. You know what the laborer that was complaining and grumbling should have done? What he should have done is said, thank you, Lord. Today I got a job. I got a fool's day's wages. It's fair. It's honest. I got to work with my hands and my body. 
and I got paid exactly what I agreed to pay, get paid, and then leave it at that. But what do we see in the scripture? The guys that showed up first, they turn and they look around and they say, oh, that's not fair. You got paid the same thing. They should get paid less. I should be paid more. You're unfair. And the reality is we can do that with God. When we see other people that have more blessings than we have, we can start to fall into that default mode of grumbling and complaining. Let me just tell you something, friends. That's not healthy. It's not healthy for your soul. It's not healthy for your physical body. It's not healthy for your friends. It's not healthy for your family. It's not healthy for your kids. It's not healthy for your coworkers. It's not healthy for anybody. In fact, if you look at Israel as a nation, one of their big problems is always griping and complaining. They're always griping and complaining. And God's saying, you need to just give thanks for what happened today. Count your blessings. One of the things I do when I count my blessings is I just say, I just, in a, in a rush sometimes when I get real critical or cranky or grumbly, I say, let me, t- let me count five things real quick that I'm thankful for. And it could be so basic. Lord, I thank you. I live in a state that's got 299 days of sunshine. I love sun. God, thank you that I live in a valley that's beautiful and filled with people that I love. I love that, Lord. Thank you for giving me that position, that privilege. Lord, I got three beautiful kids. I love them. I'm so grateful for them. I got a wonderful wife. Lord, I thank you for that. Lord, I've got a home that I really appreciate. Lord, thank you for those blessings. Now I'm walking, feeling grateful and gratitude, and that's where the Lord wants us. He doesn't want us in this place to go, gosh, all the terrible things that happened at work. Oh, all the terrible things that are happening in my family. And why is that person over here getting blessed? And I've been faithful. Man, that's frustrating. Man, God is unfair. God, I don't like how you're dealing with me. I don't like how you do things. What's wrong with this? This is unfair. Let me, newsflash. Life is unfair. That was what my dad used to tell me all the time, son, faster you can get over it, life is unfair. That's the world we live in. And the biggest problem you and me are going to face in our Christian life is what I call the me first mentality. And you will be stuck in that grumbling and complaining forever unless you let that me first mentality die. Once you can get out of that me first mentality and you straighten out your priorities, kingdom priorities are this, always put God first, always put others second, and then put yourself last. That's why it's helpful to say something like this all the time. Hey, I'm here to help. Hey, how you doing? Like Del Huse says, he's going to come and preach next week. And when he walks into a room, don't say, hey, here I am. Say, there you are. Jesus is turning the corner and tries to get us to see things and from a kingdom perspective. Now here's one of my favorite points. Perhaps you feel like you are the gracious giver. And if you're a parent, you get to be a gracious giver. If you're a church member at our church and you're giving financially or you're serving, you're part of that gracious giver group. Or maybe it's your workplace where you're finding yourself able to give encouragement and exhortation and people are looking to you. Or as a student, you just have a little bit of clout around you and you can help encourage people and people are kind of coming to you. You can be this gracious giver. All of us could be this gracious giver. The gracious giver is give like God gives. When you give, you're best reflecting who God is because God is a giver. Does God give evenly? No. Why? Because he likes to highlight grace and demote self-earning. 
He likes to highlight grace and he likes to demote and demote earning. He wants to highlight his glory. My encouragement to the gracious giver is to give like God gives. Give your time, your talent, and your treasure. When you invest time into the things that matter most, invest time into your marriage, invest time into your business, invest time into your kids. Give your talent to serve not only in the community, but in your church. Or the treasure, your financial stewardship. Invest into your marriage. Invest into your kids. Take vacations. Go to the conference. Go to the seminar. Buy the books. Invest into the things that matter the most. Give like God gives. When your daughter says, Dad, I'd really like to get away, say, let's make time to get away, even if I have to spend a significant amount of money. Do whatever it takes to give like God gives and be that gracious giver. Be known as a giver, not a taker. Secondly, in the gracious giver category, you need to realize that it's often unmerited and uneven. When my daughter showed up in the lodge, she wanted Skittles. I didn't give her Skittles because my son needed them more. And I didn't want to pay another four bucks because they were just jacking the prices up. That's my money. I can choose that, right? And so for you... Realize if you're going to choose to be a gracious giver, get over it. Get comfortable when your kid says to you, that's not fair. You say, life's not fair. Or you choose to give graciously to one of your kids and you just say, I'm going to spend extra amounts of time because my kid needs me and I love him. And you know what? In everything you do, no matter where you're at in life, there's always a tension. You're going to be an awesome parent your work might struggle a little bit. You're going to kill it at work? Awesome. Your family might struggle a little bit. There's always a tension. That's life. And so you learn how to deal with the tension and get over the reality and self-depression and critical complaining like you have to have fine, perfect balance. Everybody gets out of balance. That's why we take our cars in to get rebalanced. Church is like getting rebalanced a lot of times. The gracious givers are going to also, they're going to have to have, resi- they're going to find resistance. People are going to get frustrated. Why, why did you give to them? I did this. Oh, do you not see this when you find uh, somebody passes away in the family? Why does, why does my son, why does, why does, why does my, my brother get all the money and dad gave to the son and didn't give to the little brother? It's his money. Do whatever he wants. I think there's a good country song about this uneven giving where this, this, this son's frustrated because a total stranger gets this guy's inheritance. Expect some resistance. Be the gracious giver. I want to share with you a story about a guy in our church who God worked in a pretty cool way. Check this out. So growing up, was, uh, school was a challenge. I had ADHD and dyslexia. I guess I still have it. Um, so with that, I, I had to go to resource classes and I had to go to different classes so kids would look at you like you were different. And then I was also a little bit heavier set. So I got made fun of a lot for, for how I looked. And then also for people thought you were dumb because you have to go, you have a different learning style. So that was difficult. High school is really where I 
I think God had the biggest impact in my life. Um, we were going through a transition phase as a family. We had gone into a new church, and then with that, uh, we had a new youth pastor that had started right about the time I was going into ninth grade, who took about 12 of us guys, myself included, and just really poured into us pretty heavily and taught me things about like basic theology and the Bible and how to read the Bible and uh, what it means as far as like biblical masculinity and just the church became my friends at the church and the church became home at that point. Um, church has always been a place that was safe for me growing up whether it was as a kid that got bullied in elementary school or as a high school kid that got bullied and eventually that gave me permission to stop that from happening with me and to defend others as well. When I was about 18, my parents uh, filed for divorce and that's when things got pretty difficult. Um, I was really struggling with depression. I was angry with God. I didn't think that a loving God could allow this to happen to my family. I started to hang out with the wrong kids and by 21 I was out drinking and I was I'd completely walked away. Um, I wanted nothing to do really with the church. I didn't want to be the kid that was sitting at home on a Friday night and going like, okay, well, life is really hard right now. It's my parents' marriage is falling apart. It seems like my family is falling apart and then all my friends are gone. And then at that same time, I had started community college and I, I failed out miserably. Like, I started looking for churches and a lot of it was looking at the Acts 29 website and I saw North Valley as one church that was close and then I saw some other churches and then I kept seeing signs for North Valley. So eventually I went, I plugged in and I got involved in a neighborhood group where I was really, it was just a bunch of, honestly a bunch of people that were a little bit older than me that just loved on me and helped me and I had some rough edges from coming out of some stuff that I had been through and I met with Ryan and uh, Pastor Jonathan at the time and kind of told them my story and um, I found that North Valley was a safe place. I really wanted to, because of some experiences I had been through, I was able to get involved and do an internship with North Valley and then get involved in different neighborhood groups and it's just been, North Valley has become a place where it's, it's home, it's family. I've gone through a couple different things. The biggest one recently was getting diagnosed with Crohn's disease and having uh, my neighborhood group and people that I've been in a neighborhood group come along with me and pray with me or, hey, like, uh, do you need somebody to take you to your doctor's appointments? Do you need food? Like, you should come over to our house and have food. Like, you probably can't do that yourself and just really have come alongside me and just loved on me through that. And then I think one of the biggest things that I'm excited to see with, with my faith and also with just being a part of the church is watching as the youth group is growing and seeing what God is doing there and hopefully seeing how God impacts people's lives like, like he has mine through youth group and through youth leaders and youth volunteers are huge. Yes, life has been very hard at times and it's been very difficult, but you see this golden thread throughout it where God has been moving and has been putting me in places where they haven't always been comfortable and it hasn't always been easy, but where he's just moved in different ways. It's been kind of a crazy journey, an incredible journey that I couldn't have planned. Really cool to see what he's done um, in my life and how he's used me to impact other people's lives in ways that I couldn't have imagined. You know, um, 
Tim serves in our youth program, and it's so fun to be a part of that um, and see him make an investment in the lives of people. Uh, there's a hundreds of more Tims that are going to be moving in right next door over the next five years. All of these homes are being developed, and a lot of them are young, young uh, guys and young gals. And so I want to challenge you in giving. When you give, realize this, that you're making an investment into the next generation. You're helping preserve and promote a church that is committed together to share and show the love of Jesus Christ. And so, guys, it's not about us. Uh, it's about God's glory in the North Valley. And we're going to grow through this process. And so I want to say thank you to all of you who give uh, financially to our church, uh, uh, auto- automatically and online all the time. Uh, I like to say at my household, we want to automate the important. And uh, thank you for those of you that come and give financially uh, here in the services as well. Know that your giving makes a difference in the lives of people like Tim. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give today at northvalleychurch.org.